Hi, Karen. Wonderful to see you as always. And wow, this episode is really one of my favorites. Definitely my favorite in the past few months, for sure. Agreed. Hello, Katie. Always wonderful to see you. And always, I mean, wonderful is not even the word. Like, we just love talking to Tanya. And as I said, I feel like we put her in our chaos machine. And you were much more eloquent about you believe you, I believe you called it. We were all on a river together. <laughs> we were on a river together. Yes. We were just, just, just floating just very comfortably down this river where we, you know, we didn't run into any rocks, but it just, it made some turns, you know, like the, the conversation <laughs> was just, it was a lazy river with just relaxing sunshine. Yes. Even though it's cold outside here, but yes, freezing a lazy river. Listeners, you are in for a treat. You know, our favorite guest slash unofficial third co-host, Dr. Tanya Israel. Yes, she is a psychologist. She is, I'm reading her bio right now. She's a professor in the Department of Counseling, Clinical and Clinical and School Psychology at the University of California in Santa Barbara. She has her PhD in counseling psychology. She is the author of the best-selling Beyond Your Bubble, How to Connect Across the Political Divide, Skills and Strategies for Conversations that Work. If you're hearing this and you're like, who? Huh? Who's Dr. Tanya Israel? Go back to the nine other episodes, eight other episodes, seven, however many episodes it is that Tanya has been on. And um, you will be you will fall immediately in love just like we have. Absolutely. And I feel like it's so funny because at some point we should go back and listen to the evolution. I feel like our first conversation was about her book. You found her book and we had this conversation about it. Yes. And over like we've just evolved from like, hello, expert who wrote this amazing book that we want to talk to you about to like, let's get into it. <laughs> like we're just. Also, yeah. you're our BFF now. Like that's correct. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Correct. It's so wonderful. I mean, this conversation really, it's like, we really went to deep places. We went to light places. We went to, it was just like, it was very soulful. And like, I feel happier after this hour than I did at the beginning, for sure. Agreed. Completely agreed. Yeah. We hope all of you enjoy Dr. Tanya Israel. Hello, Dr. Tanya Israel. Thank you so much for visiting us for a seventh time, I think it is. It's wonderful to see you. Oh, hello, Karen and Katie. It's delightful to be back. Hey, I think this might be eight. Is it eight? Dang. The free time we say we're going to count. Wait, I, we we can find out because I just made a section for you on my website, uh, yes. on my page about podcasts, and I yes. found all of the ones that I was on. So we okay. can look at that and find out. Or, um, or we can just go on with our conversation. Well, I, I actually am yes. counting. I think it might be nine. If we say Wait. that the surprise bonus with your song about interse- intersectionality, if that counts for one, which it should, this would be nine. <gasps> right. Although that was part of another episode probably. So I we can go with eight. Let's go with eight because I, you know, I don't want to overcount us. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be humble. I'll be Perfect. humble. <laughs> well, I am so happy you're here. It is so wonderful to have you back. I mean, I, for all of, for everyone who doesn't know who, who Dr. Tiny Israel is, we will do, we'll have just said in our intro, which will come before this, obviously. And um, yeah, I love that when we emailed you, Tanya, you were like, we were like, what do you want to talk about? And you sent us several ideas and we are yes. so ha- like a whole list. And we're like, yes, perfect. It's amazing. Well, I'm happy to be here to talk about absolutely anything. And, you know, I feel like I'm with you every week uh, or you're with me every week. So I always feel very in touch with what's going on in your lives and all of this. So when I pop in, I'm like, oh, oh, right. You're you don't know what I've been up to, but it's so (laughs) delightful to have my weekly little uh, Monday morning with you. Thank you so much for being both a listener and an unofficial third co-host. So we appreciate you for that. And I love this list also. And every time you visit us, because it's this glimpse inside your very busy mind and you have so many things going on, which is one of the topics of today, but like, I just love it because it's just like, oh my gosh, Tanya is always doing so many things. It's so cool. 
So true. Well, thank you for giving me a place to uh, experience my very busy mind out loud for a little bit. (laughs) Well, let's dive right in because I would love to hear about this new project of yours, Tanya, your new podcast. Huge congratulations. I loved Prajna Sparks. I know people who listen to this podcast also listen to Prajna Sparks and they have, I'm sure, been waiting with bated breath for your next iteration of a podcast. So please share with us, what is this new project that you're starting? So before I started um, Prajna Sparks, uh, I I had put a thing out there on Facebook and I was like, I'm going to be doing a podcast. What do you think it's going to be about? And it was just this brainstorming list where like 50 of my Facebook friends, like, you know, just said, oh, it could be this or this or this or this or this. So then I narrowed it down and I made a little multiple choice test of like, what do you think it is? And, and everybody thinks I'm doing things about bisexuality and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and all these things. So then that one turned about out to be a Buddhist podcast and people were like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. So this time I, I did a, a shorter thing because I did it as a Twitter poll and I was like, what do you think or hope my new podcast will be about? And um, the the winner of what people thought or hoped was Taylor Swift, because I'm completely obsessed with Taylor Swift and just keep posting things about her. Um, And then tying for second was Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Cheese, because also two of my big obsessions. And no one actually picked the one that this podcast is about, which is memoir. And so I'm sorry to the people who (laughs) really wanted me to talk about other things. Uh, But what I'm talking about is memoir. So the way this happened is I have a friend from college uh, named Deanna, and she's a professor of English literature. But over the pandemic, she started writing these like charming, short personal essays and putting them up online. And we said, oh my gosh, these are so fantastic, but I don't always keep up with them because I have to read them with my eyeballs. So I'm like, if if only you would read them out loud to me and then we could have a little conversation about it. And I really want other people to hear them too because you're such a fantastic writer. And so let's do a podcast. And she was like, okay. And then I realized that this was exactly how Prajna Spark started where I'm like, hey, here's a friend from college who I think is amazing at doing this thing of you know teaching about Dharma. So, and I want more people to hear it. So let's do a podcast where you teach Dharma and I ask questions about it. And I was like, oh, maybe it would be good for me to bring myself a little bit more into this. And so what we decided to do is we take turns So every other episode, she reads one of her essays and we talk about it. And on the the other ones, I read a short piece of memoir and then we talk about it. And then we have a chat about whatever the topic was of the writing, as well as about writing generally and just all kinds, you know, you know this better than anyone, I think, just all the different places that the conversation goes when you're talking to a friend. Ooh, okay. I love this. And so how... I have many questions. Okay. How can people find you? I guess is the first one. We'll start there. It's called Dr. Waffle and Friends. And because we are uh, professors, not of marketing, we did not look first to see. And there's like all these waffle (laughs) named podcasts. And I'm like, really? Like who else is calling their podcast waffles? So, uh, so anyway, it's Dr. Waffle and Friends. It's available. Um, it's sort of slowly populating the different uh, podcast platforms. So I know it's available on Apple Podcasts now, and it should get to the other ones eventually. It's on Substack, um, but also you can get to it if you go to my website, uh, tanyaisrael.com, and there's a place, there's a little like podcast thing. And so then you can go to it and you can find it from there. That's where you'll also find the lists and links to all of the, of course, I'm not okay podcasts that I, where I've made guest appearances. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Um, sorry, Katie, I'm jumping in and asking a question. Okay. So, um, what has surprised you or has anything surprised you about, as you said, bringing yourself more into it and doing these pieces and reading them and talking about them? Oh, that's a great question. I've been thinking about you two a lot as I've been doing this because 
it's very, you know, revealing sort of bringing yourself in and, and having a conversation with a friend and conversations with friends can uh, be very um, personal. And it's not necessarily the same conversation that you have with, you know, in public. And so that's actually been really I don't know, I'm a little nervous about it, but it's also really lovely being able to share more of myself. I've been thinking a lot about how much people want to be seen and need to be seen. And I feel like writing memoir and putting it out there is sort of a way that like I can allow myself to be seen, but in ways that I can craft the narrative. So, <laughs> but then when you have a conversation, someone asks you questions, you're like, oh, like who knows what else is going to come out? So. I think that's that's probably what it what it's been like, and and I and it but it does make me curious about what it's been like for you two who are writers, and so you're used to sort of having some control over what you put out there, and then podcast wise, um, how does how does that work on your end? Wow, thank you so much for asking, and also for sharing. I mean, I so I'm happy to answer your question. I have another question though about like how you feel, what does it feel like, Tanya, to divulge things about yourself, to be vulnerable about yourself in such a public forum? Like, how has that experience been for you to actually read some memoir about your own life? So my usual way of sharing memoir is that I write a short piece and then I perform it at this theater at Center Stage Theater in Santa Barbara, California. And that's the extent to which it is available to anyone. And so yeah. it's pretty small and controlled and like, I know who's there, <laughs> but so this is really different sort of putting it out there more broadly. And it does feel like a little bit of a leap and an exciting one, like an exciting one to actually be like, okay, I'm used to going on podcasts and sharing my expertise and you know, being professorly and like all of these things, I'm used to doing that. I'm not as used to sort of putting myself out there just as a, as a human being, as a person. And also as a creative person. So this is the thing that I also keep doing with the podcast is that, oh, I'm going to do this podcast with Lama Yeshe, who's got like mad expertise on Buddhism. And I'm like, I practice and I'm learning, but it's definitely not my expertise. And then I'm going to go and do a thing about writing with a professor of literature. I'm like, what? what am I nuts? You know, like, like these are people who are so much better at these things than I am. So it's, it's sort of allowing me to go in there with some vulnerability and with some um, not knowing everything. We talked about this last time I was on, we talked about sort of needing to be the expert, like, and what that's like and how exhausting that can be. And I'm like, all right, I am definitely not, not the expert in what I'm doing here. And so I don't know, I'm just kind of finding my way through it. That's so interesting. I, it's interesting what you say that you're not the expert in what you're doing. And then yet it's so interesting to me because I feel like memoir also, it's like you are the most close to your own experience. And so it's like you're the one who can tell the best about your own experience. And so I totally know what you're saying, though. And I, I my answer to your question about what it's like to be so vulnerable on this podcast is very complicated. Like I have a super complicated relationship with vulnerability. I hate to say it. Like I, I don't think I ever really knew that Um until recently, because it's like, you know, I think, you know, I used to have a newsletter that would write a lot of, I would write about very, 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 very vulnerable topics. And that kind of became, it just didn't work for me as much anymore um, to see it in print. Um, and so I kind of transitioned that I unknowingly into this podcast. And so I would say that I definitely talk about vulnerable things. And Karen, I would love to know your, your thoughts on this too. I mean, we both do. And I can only speak from my own experience. I we definitely talk about vulnerable things, but there is a very strong line. Like it seems as though like Karen and I, we talk about a lot of things in this podcast, and we definitely have gotten the feedback of like, wow, I can't believe you mentioned that on the podcast. But you'd be surprised on what we talk about when we're not 
depressing play. Like there is a level there's like, and so it's hard to know, like there definitely have been things where I've wanted to talk about it on the podcast and I just, I'm not sure if I'm ready type of thing. And, and yet there are, are also things that I think, you know, you know, why not? Like, why not? Like, I think it's just so beautiful to share because I think that it, what is that quote? I don't know who even said it, but like in the most specific is the most universal. It's like mm-hmm. everyone's experiences. If you get specific and you talk about your own experiences, you know, it's, it's pretty profound on how many people have the same experience. So anyway, but Karen, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on being vulnerable in a public sphere. Well, thank you for that, Katie. And thank you for asking, Tanya. It is a really good question because I think your answer, Katie, explains so much about why we wanted to do this podcast in the first place, to have these conversations in public that we felt like other people weren't having. Mm -hmm. And so our discomfort with that, right, is like, I feel like part of it, that's part of it. We're pushing past the boundaries that other people have and that we maybe had for ourselves. And also to your point about specificity, I, I feel like I also, it's important to me also that people listen and feel less alone about certain things. There are so many things that yes. are taboo. There are so many things like, oh, we don't talk about that or we don't talk about that in that way. Like I'm thinking about, I don't know if it was the last time you were on Tanya, that conversation about abortion where we all just jumped oh. right in was like, so it was like, was so opening for me. It was mm-hmm. so like, it was such like, it was such a good conversation and it really made me think so much about things that I don't normally think about. Like that was the whole point of it. Like let's excavate how you came to this decision in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we continue to do that because if you don't talk about it, it just remains shameful. All of these things where it remains it it has all of this power in your life if you don't expose it to the light. And so I think that is part of one, one of one part of why this podcast is so important for me. And I feel like I also am like kind of mouthy about a lot of these things. And I feel like sometimes people, people who don't know me obviously are learning things, but I feel like my friends are just like, oh yeah, there you go again on the, whatever that is. Yeah, I understand that being also a sort of mouthy person as well. And what's interesting is because I am one of the most publicly bisexual people I know of, and people think that because I share that really openly that 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 I'm obviously sharing really vulnerable stuff, but that doesn't feel vulnerable to me. That that feels pretty, you know, like that's on the surface. Um there's way more layers underneath that there. And so maybe that's something where it's like, there's, there's this stuff that we're used to sharing that might sound like it's very personal, but we also know that there's a line there that we're not crossing. It sounds like. Yeah. But I think it's like, it's interesting what both of you are saying. It's making me look at that line. Like it's making me really question that line. And yeah, absolutely. There, I think boundaries are important and I think they're totally different for every person. But I think there's also, to your point, Karen, like this is the reason for this podcast is to, you know, talk about things that people aren't talking about on a normal basis and also to just like destigmatize and make it so that it's not shameful. It's just, it's so, the way you said it, it was so articulate and I'm going to botch it, but, but it's just the idea that like things become so big in our minds when they're not shared. It's like, you know, I think there's a Brene Brown quote about that, that shame, they become shame, or at least in some, you know, they kind of, there are shame feelings about things that we don't think that we can speak about. And then they weigh us down. Like there's just something around that that's so liberating to actually speak out. And it's not as scary as it seems underneath inside. Yeah, I was actually listening. I just started listening to Brene Brown's podcast that she started in, well, the same the same time you all started your podcast. And I mean, it's taking me back three years ago, you know, to March 2020. And it's like, oh my gosh, what a time that was. But the things that she talks about sometimes, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's sharing that. Um, and I think, oh, thank you for that. Like it just normalizes it. And 
so yes, it's very much what you two are doing. And I remember early in the pandemic, after I was a guest on, then I binged like all of the other episodes. And I just remember walk, I remember I was walking in the park and you all were talking about feelings because that's what you do. And I just remember crying. I just remember hearing that and and just you tapped into something that I was really feeling and it moved me. So there really is a power and a gift, I think, in sharing that. Oh, I'm sorry we made you cry. Was slash- oh, no, it was good. It was okay, good. Good. <laughs> good. I mean, I think I think I've gone back and listened and gotten emotional about things or realized that I was emotional in the moment and didn't realize it. Or yeah, I I do think exactly like we're all saying, there's so much power in the sharing. And I also feel like the anniversary episode also made me realize we also have a community here of people. Like there are Katie's friends, they're my friends, they're people who love you, Tanya, who found us by listening to your episode, the first, the very first one. And I think that is also really powerful. Like it's, we're both sharing and you're sharing when you come with us and then people share with us independently, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's all this, it's this bigger conversation that we're all having that is also like part of the joy of doing this. It's so beautiful. I love this conversation about vulnerability. It's so organic you know, and it's so on brand for all three of us. Like, it's just, it's so beautiful. It, you know, it reminds me of this. So Glennon Doyle has her podcast of, I think it's, uh, we can do hard things. And I'll never forget um, when I think it was maybe six, eight months ago and Elizabeth Gilbert was on and she had not made any public appearances in three years. And this was the first time that she had made any public appearances. And it's really, it's like, it's not super not it wasn't at, at at least not to me but super noticeable only because of covid like no one was really you know doing that much um but basically this was her episode where you know her story is for people who don't know like she um you know after eating or after eating eat pray love after writing eat pray love and then having um being married to a man she ended up marrying her best friend Rhea and falling deeply in love and then Rhea died of cancer And so, um, she died of cancer at the age of, it was like late fifties, I think. And this happened, I think right, either right before COVID or maybe a year or two before COVID. And it was very widely publicized. Like this was like a very huge love story, like absolutely so beautiful, heavily celebrated, but by friends and with, you know, like the Instagram community and that kind of thing. And, um, Elizabeth Gilbert would talk about it often. And what was so interesting was, you know, she hadn't been around for three years. And she is apparently close friends with um, Glennon Doyle and her wife, Abby Wambach. And she came out and she wanted to do a podcast about it. And she said, you know, I want to tell the real story. And I didn't even know what she was talking about. I'm like, oh, maybe she's coming out with a new book or something like what, maybe a new memoir or something. Turns out that talk about vulnerability. She told the story of the few months before Rhea's death. So Rhea was um, a drug addict way, way, way long ago, way before they even met. Um, And she was a drug addict for like two decades. And then she was sober for like three decades. And then she decided once she knew that she was terminal and she only had a few months to live, that she was going to go back to drugs because it was like this, the best thing, the best part of her life. And so no one knew this, by the way, this is like so private, obviously. And so Elizabeth Gilbert is talking on this podcast about how Rhea became a monster, a monster, an absolute abusive wife to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, she ended up like this is like she she ended up, you know, she was supposed to. I mean, this sounds people can go back and listen to this and I'll put it in the show notes. But and I'll explain why I'm explaining this. But like. Basically, what happened was Elizabeth had to distance herself from her because it was actually very dangerous for her. It was this, a very bad situation. And Rhea lived longer than they thought she was going to. And so Elizabeth did. She basically left. And then Rhea finally, at the very, very end, came to her and apologized. But Elizabeth Gilbert was trying to explain in this in this, um, in this uh, podcast, it was so powerful because... She was like, it's not just one thing. 
There's not just one story. And she, she did forgive Rhea and she did, there was like a moment of reconciliation at the very end and then she died. And it's like, but there's so much nuance to life that like doesn't fit in a easy to digest, you know, like one side of a story. Like it was such a, I, I really was, I mean, my jaw was truly, it was open the whole time I was walking my talk. I was like, my mouth was open, like, because I really followed her. I really followed their love story. I was so happy for them. I was so sad when Rhea died and she had spoken a lot about how much she loved Rhea, but this was never part of the conversation. And I think she needed to wait those years for, you know, to grieve. And yet there was also this like liberation that it seemed that she was experiencing. And the reason I bring this up is because this is the probably one of the most vulnerable things I've ever heard a person talk about um, that I didn't personally know. But it also is so beautiful because it like my guess is that it would have freed so many other people who listened to that episode to know that they're not alone. Like this is not just one way. Love stories look very complex. Love stories are not just a fairy tale and they're not, it's just, it was just really fascinating for, to me. And like, it's just, it's like a beacon of light of like, wow, talk about that's something that I think if I were Liz I, or Elizabeth Gilbert, I would be so scared to share. And yet she did anyway. And it's like, it helped, I would imagine so many people, me included. Wow. That is remarkable. And I didn't know any of that. And I'm going to, I'm going to go listen to that podcast episode. And I'm just really struck by all of the levels of vulnerability and grief and, and bringing that forward. I, it, it also occurs to me, I am clearly not the most public bisexual that there is. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know how she identifies, but I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that about Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> Totally, totally. Yeah, you know, it reminds me, and this is, <laughs> there was something more profound I was going to say, but the thing I wrote down when you were describing that, Katie, because I'm a terrible person, is that like, one of the other parts of this for me is selfishly, like, Katie is my therapy addendum. We say this to each other all the time. Like, <laughs> I have my therapist. Nicole, who I've been seeing for a very long time. And then I have Katie, who I've also been seeing for a very long time. Like, and I feel like they work in tandem with each other. And it's like, you are listening to a conversation between friends, but you are also listening to our therapy sessions. Like 100%. this is, right? Like a way to work things out. And I think it's like in real time, like somebody asked once if we script these and I was like, have you, have you listened to um our shows? <laughs> I would say every sixth episode, there's a, oh no, I'm going to take that out yeah. in the, right? Like, so I, I think there's also, there's also that aspect to it is like, we are also gaining, I feel like I'll just speak for myself. I also gain something from talking these things through and I never know what's going to come out of my mouth. Right. And you have a revelations in therapy and I have revelations in this podcast. And I think there is also a, it's like, it's a mutual thing. Like, I think, I hope that people get something out of listening to us talk, but I definitely get something out of all of the conversations, of course, especially the conversations we have with you, Tanya. Well, it's such a trust exercise, really. Like, like when you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth and you all have such trust with each other, but you know, you're, you're putting so much trust in the listeners also, uh, and to just hold you in a certain way or, or to, or to not, um, like you just don't know how it's going to hit anybody, but, um, I, yeah, there is a big trust exercise in it. I love that. I love the idea of in introducing trust in there because it's absolutely true. It's like none of these conversations could exist if Karen and I didn't trust each other, but also that the three of us trust each other. There's just, you know, we've, I mean, it's a long time ago now, but there have been experiences that I can't speak for you, Karen, but I can say for sure that there have been some guests that we've had, maybe a few that like we were just, I think I felt like, oh, like we're going to keep it surface. And I think that those, you know, and that's okay. Those are a long time ago and, and there's nothing wrong with those people. But, you know, I think we're here for what my couple's therapist calls scuba diving, not snorkeling. <laughs> she she's like whenever I talk to her about 
maybe like if I've gone out with a couple that, you know, it was just like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, we're talking about just the very, you know, surface of the surface and that's it. And then, you know, I can do that for a solid 30 minutes, no problem. But if it's a three hour dinner, like I get, to, it's just tiring to like, you know, tread water. And she was like, they were snorkelers. Right. And I was like, yeah, they were snorkeling like that. You know? And so it's just, or yeah. maybe even jet skiing. Yeah. They were jets. They were surfing. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were hoverboarding over the water. Parasailing. <laughs> yes. Like- <laughs> Exactly. But I, I do want to ask you, Tanya, I think it was so brilliant how, you know, right before we hit record, I we were going through the list that you had sent over in an email and you just in passing, you said, you know, oh, there are so many things that I'm doing right now. I actually put it into a visual format on my phone so I can see all of them in like this chart. And I was just fascinated in that one split second. And I was like, that is a podcast episode. What is that? And it just, I would love to talk with you a little bit about the topic of overwhelm, because I think that this is something that I personally feel all the time and depending on the hour, and I have to do a lot of deep breathing and meditation around it. And I would just, it would be actually something that I would love to try is to go onto Canva or even just put it in my you know, notebook and pen and paper and write down all the things I'm doing so that I can just see a snapshot. And maybe that would, I guess I worry that would might overwhelm me just looking at it. But at the same time, it looks like it might be something that could be a tool that people could use. How do you use it? And how did this come about? I would love to know how you created this idea of a snapshot, if that's what you'd like to call it. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going through this several weeks of, I had so much on my plate and in in all these different realms of my life. And I had all these different presentations I was doing and I had this and this and that. And, and at the same time, people kept requesting things of me, asking me to do things that weren't sort of like, do this presentation you've done before. Like, can you do this thing that isn't something I've done and... Uh, and I would have to try to think, can I make that work? And I was trying really hard to make a bunch of things work and they weren't quite working. And and I was working really hard at it. And then there was, then I got to a Saturday and I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much going on. I just need to get a handle on it somehow. So I make a lot of PowerPoints in, in my life. And so I was like, I think I just need to create a smart art that represents all the things I'm trying to do in my life. And that will somehow feel comforting. I I recognize PowerPoint smart art is probably not the medium that makes everybody feel relaxed. But for some reason, for me, that seemed like what I wanted to do. And so it was better than doing a list because I thought if I made just a list of everything, it will feel overwhelming. But I I made little quadrants and quadrants felt easier somehow. So I was like, oh, here's all the things that I'm doing in my professor job. And there's, you know, a lot of those. But then there's also this like side hustle that I have, which all came about because I wrote this book about bridging political divides. And that's just brought me into all these new realms of more writing and of media and and being on other people's podcasts. And like, there's all this stuff going on with that. And then I have this other realm of creative stuff that I do that like, I have this new podcast and I write memoir and I write song lyrics and, you know, just things that I do sort of for fun that doesn't feel at all like the same kind of writing I do either for the side hustle or as a professor, And then I was like, wait a minute, there's this other huge quadrant that I'm just calling life. And that's like, I'm in a long distance relationship and I have friends and family who are, you know, I've got people who live close by, but I also have people all over the place and keeping up with them. And I have this 15 year old cat and I have, you know, just all, and I'm trying to do like landscaping projects and just all of the things. And, you know, I need to eat every day and I like to cook. And so there's so many things. But then once I made that and I put it down, first of all, it absolutely clarified for me that I should not be taking on anything right now. And I should certainly not be working so hard to try to make things work that don't fit easily. And so it just released me from all of that, which was 
fantastic. And it also, you know, I have this little image now and I've showed it to some people, like I showed it to my aunt and I'm like, these are all the things that are going on. And so it helps to communicate, wow, I have a lot on my plate, but it's also like, oh, tell me more about what's going on in this quadrant or, oh, I'm curious about this thing here. And I want to know more about that. So it's, it's been useful in some ways in terms of communicating my life to other people, but more than anything else, it was useful for me to communicate my life to myself. Oh, and the other thing that happened is as soon as I sent it off to one of my friends and she said, oh, you know, how does it feel to like have it all that way? And I said, well, the first thing I did after I sent it to you was realize that I had forgotten to include something on it. So I had to go back and revise it. So I'm like, oh my gosh, there's even more stuff. But it does feel a little bit more contained somehow. I relate to this so strongly, so, so strongly. And I know Katie does too. And so Airtable is my like platform of choice for like, I need to get all of these things out of my brain. Like I'm not, I'm not good at PowerPoint, but I can make an Airtable. It's like a visual Excel. You can make these like really beautiful tables that make you look very fancy. Yes. Airtable. There's a free version of it. And it organizes information really beautifully. And that is like how I get all these things out of my brain. And I feel like this explaining your life to yourself also sounds like, and I don't know who said this, but it's like when you are able to define your yes, a big, your big yes, then the little no's become easier. And it feels like that chart was like your big, yeah, like those are all of your big yeses. And now, now you can say no to all of these other things. So, cool. Oh my God. I love that. And I'm absolutely looking up Airtable. That sounds amazing. I love this so much, Tanya. And I so appreciate you explaining it in the detail that you are, because I think that it's, it's very helpful for me to think about quadrants. It's very helpful versus a list. Lists are just surrounding me all the time. I have post-it lists. I have lists on different, they're just everywhere for me on email, on everything. And it's interesting because I feel like you've taken it to another even more evolved level when you say that you are looking at this, these quadrants, and then you're figuring out what you want to say no to. Like that is such, that's so, like Karen just said, like that's so interesting to me because I think that like, if I were to do this, at least in my, in my mind, if I think about it, I think it would just, I would look at it and just be so overwhelmed. I'd be like, oh gosh, no, no, no. But I think what would happen Maybe if I thought, if I thought, what would Tanya do is to look at it and then to cross things off, start crossing things off. Like what is my ideal, you know, like my ideal visual for this? Like what is my, and how do I get to that? Or, you know, when something's coming in, like you had said previously, when something comes in and you can easily say no to it because it doesn't fit into those quadrants, it's so much more effective and it's such a, a useful tool rather than just being another tool for, for overwhelm, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And the the crossing things off, one of the things that I noticed is some of these things on there are time limited. Um, like I'm teaching a course right now that I haven't taught in seven years. And so there's a lot of work going into that. But that's only until late March. So I'm like, okay, starting in late March, I can maybe take on some more things. And then I don't know if I've told you all this, but I'm actually planning to retire from academia in two and a half years. Oh my, oh my gosh. Wow. Congratulations. congratulations. Thank you. So, I mean, I've already told all my colleagues, I've told all my students. And so, uh, you know, I'm, so I'm fine sharing this, but it's, um, so this entire quadrant that I have is going to fall away. But of course, that's intuitive. <laughs> so it's time limited, but it's sort of a long time. But that's kind of how academic time works anyway. Like everything, like every research project takes forever. And so, but it's allowing me to sort of, um, you know, pare down some things in that quadrant as I like wind down some aspects of what I'm doing in preparation for that. Uh, I'm so excited for you. And I can't wait to see what you fill that quadrant with if you choose to fill it. And it's so funny that you mentioned it because the question I wrote down was the importance of recognizing that that is all going to shift over time. 
Like, I feel like we sometimes get so rigid about like, no, I figured this out. These are my quadrants. This is my list. This is my air table. I'm done. And it's, it's taken me so long to realize like things that used to work don't work anymore. And things that used to serve me don't serve me anymore. And that the things I want and need change over time. We've talked about, it's okay to, you know, the power of changing your mind. And I think I just love that. Yeah. You're going to have some things sunset and other things will come up and how it's important that we just recognize that like, this is not the answer. This is an answer for right now. Yeah. Now I'm thinking that I'm going to you know, I just have this PowerPoint presentation that just has this one slide in it. But I was like, oh, I should put a date on that. And then I can duplicate it and change it. And, you know, I can keep doing that as I go along. And my goal is to not actually have four areas. It's to like, like, let one area go and, and get to spend more time in the other three. That's so beautiful. That, and congratulations, Tanya. That's really, really exciting for two and a half years. And I have friends in academia as well. So I know what you're saying in terms of having that way out. Like it sounds so far in advance for people in business, but it's not right. Like it's not, it's, you know, everything is very, you know, planned way in advance for, for academia, but it's so interesting to me, you know, when I just think about overwhelm in general, I, I guess, you know, even transitioning, you know, from this, um, this quadrant idea or this exercise, is there anything that you see, you know, kind of in like psychology now where people are talking about overwhelm? I'm just wondering if there's like, is it boundaries that helps with overwhelm? Is it more time to yourself that helps with overwhelm? Is it just saying yes to less things? Like, I, I guess I'm just wondering if there's anything out there that you, that you hear about or see. Oh, it's a really good question. But then you mentioned the word boundaries, which I've been thinking about this a lot, because I feel like there's a lot in, I mean, some in my professional world of psychology, but actually just some in the cultural narrative, there's, I feel like yeah. a lot about boundaries, but the boundary stuff is a lot about boundaries with other people, you know, and sort of being able to set boundaries and all of that. So here's how I've been thinking about it though, because I've been thinking there's so much about how to set boundaries but there's not that much about like how to exist in discomfort because the re one of the reasons people want to set boundaries is like, here's this person who like oversteps or here's this person who, you know, I mean, I see a lot in the sort of political discord um, realm. And so it's sort of like, oh, I'm going to set boundaries and not talk to this person. I'm going to not talk to these people and I'm going to, you know, and I thought, well, sometimes that's what we want to do, but sometimes we want to step into it. We want to lean into it and allow ourselves to work through the discomfort or work through the conflict. And I, I feel like we're maybe as a society sort of developing much more in the how to cut yourself off from people realm rather than the how to exist in discomfort. And maybe it's the same thing also with, with the overwhelm and all the stuff, because, you know, people are like, oh, you know, say no to more things and all of that. And okay, legit, probably I do in fact need to do that. And at the same time, it's not always what I want to do. Sometimes I have so many things on my plate, but then there's this opportunity or, or then it's like, I go, oh my gosh, I've been so busy, but there's a bunch of friends who I haven't seen. I'm going to have a dinner party, <laughs> which is what I did last night. And I've had so much going on and I haven't had a quiet day and I don't know, you know, in a while, but that's what I wanted. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the cultural narrative would tell me not to do that. I feel like would be like, yo, you've taken on too much. You're doing too many things. Just like, don't do as much. And I, I was thinking about this in terms of, in terms of rest, in terms of sleep, uh, cause we're always like, oh yeah, you have to make sure you get enough sleep. You have to make sure you're resting enough. And so that's part of the narrative. It's like, you know, like don't do so much, make sure you're resting. It occurred to me recently that we then start to think that the goal is to sleep. And I thought, I don't think the goal is to sleep. I think the goal is to be well rested. So when you wake up, you can more fully engage in your waking life. 
so anyway, the, now, now we're getting like, here now it's pouring out all of the things bing-bonging around in Tanya's head. <laughs> Which is should be a series on this podcast or some podcast. Exactly what you just said. Yes. More of that, please. Yeah. I mean, it's really... It reminds me of the dinner party, which I'm so excited that you had. It reminds me of this. So I will admit my partner and I have been reading the Gottman books. So, right. Um, John Gottman and his wife are, I think it's Leslie, have a series of books about relationships. They run this love lab in Seattle and they've interviewed all of these couples over time. And they, it's something like they can predict within six questions or something, who's going to make it and who isn't as a couple. It's and like it's just- evidence-based relationships. Yes, exactly. Like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm so hooked on this. And like one of the things that they have couples do is set aside this time for each other. Like you don't have time. Like the whole thing is like, they feel so distant from each other and they're just constantly yelling at each other and all these things. And it's like, you have to create the time because that's what's important. And it's kind of like what you're describing. Like if you don't have time to be with your people and to have a meal and to hang out, then what is all of the rest of it for? Like what, I think it's, it's just a good reminder to sometimes to just stop and be like, if I don't have time to hang out with my friends, what am I working for? Like, what am I doing? What, what are we doing here? If it's, if we don't have time for that. And I think that's one of the things that they really talk about is the importance of like making time and, even if you're, if, even if quality time is not one of your love languages, like the importance of really being intentional about like taking that extra breath and greet, making sure your greetings are good and your goodbyes are good and that you like build into your day interactions that are not just like super transactional with your partner. Right. I'm trying to remember if they're the ones who talk about turning toward, you know, yes. the importance of, yeah, the importance of turning toward each other. I feel like that's sort of maybe the the antidote to the boundaries thing, you know, like thinking, oh, what what we need to do mostly is set up boundaries. And we also need to be really intentional about turning toward people and things and activities that we want in our life. Wow. This is so rich. Like, I love this so much The because you're right. I mean, everything I hear, it's such a buzzword, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. And I know that I use it, Tanya, frequently. And it's so interesting what you say about rest too, because this is this is becoming such, a, it already has of course been for this hour, but it's such a nuanced conversation about things that are not presented in nuanced ways in society. It's like, you know, like, the, I mean, yes, there are, there are, you know, like you say, people, or, you know, it's often about people that people have boundaries with. And yes, of course, I'm never advocating for anyone to put their guards down around people who are not safe for them or anything like that. But it is an interesting thing to examine what you want to, like you say, turn towards and what you want to, you know, like, I don't know, I keep wanting to say live for because it's like, that's the thing. Like I want to, I I do need my rest. I do need my, my quiet. I do need my silence, my introverted time. And I love the people that I love and I want to be around them. And, you know, sometimes I find myself, at least for me, it's like all about internal trust. Like it's about like this internal compass of like, trusting myself in the moment that like, you know, sometimes I'll plan things way in advance and it bugs me sometimes because I love what you said about, you know, doing a a impromptu dinner party, because my guess is that you probably, or you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you made the decision, you invited the people and then they came over. And it's like, that's such a beautiful thing versus saying like, Hey, in six and a half weeks on Thursday at 4 PM, like, it's like, I don't know how I'm going to feel at that time. And maybe that means that I will need more rest or maybe it means, but it's like, to kind of just trust that in the moment I'll know what I need. There's something beautiful in that. And it's lovely when you turn toward people who, when they show up and you had had an instant pot crisis and things aren't ready and they will help you bring the chairs into the room and set the table and bring veggies. And, you know, it's, and that's something lovely is thinking, okay, I'm making the right choices in terms of, like where I'm placing my time and my energy. Yes. And all right, I want to be respectful of your time, but I also want to go back to one point you made that I really love 
like, how do you know the difference between someone who you shouldn't have in your life, just like full stop, like, okay, we're done. And getting to a point with someone where you're having, like you said, this discomfort, maybe there's conflict, maybe there's just, I think, I think you're right. This over-reliance on boundaries would tell you if you get to an uncomfortable place in a relationship with somebody, you should be done rather than can you gauge, can you, can you work it out with them? Can you figure out how to work around it? Can you figure out how to get past, like get past it? I feel like we don't have a good, we don't have good tools for that, unfortunately. And I think this over-reliance on like, no, we're done. Does it, it's a muscle. You have to, you have to flex it. You have to like build it up over time. Gosh, I love that question. And I'm sitting here going, I don't think I have an answer to that. Um, (laughs) But but I have a thought. I don't think I have an answer, but I have a thought, which is that a lot of the stuff we're seeing about boundaries is like these checklists of all these qualities that the other person might have that, that these are unhealthy things and you should stay away from people like this. But I wonder if there's also a way for us to look at ourselves and say, what's the thing that would be growthful for me right now? And what's the thing I want to learn right now? And maybe make our decisions, not just based on this other person and, you know, how many things are they on the narcissism checklist, but what is it? What's the quality that I want to grow right now? And maybe that quality is I want to grow the quality of, you know, not leaning into that um, and learning to set boundaries. Maybe the quality is I want to be able to, you know, sit with somebody and have compassion for them, um, even though it's, you know, I'm not going to get exactly the same thing back from them. That's so helpful. That is so helpful. And I've seen those narcissism checklists. <laughs> like that's They're everywhere. Um, oh my gosh, Tanya, this has been such a rich conversation and it really makes me wonder if we should just, if if you were available, just, talk, you know, it would be great to just talk to you the first Monday of the month, every single month. Like the, I don't want to put another thing in your quadrant, but I will really like, I mean, it's just so wonderful to have you on, to be able to talk to you, to feel so safe in this space, to ask you questions, hear your thoughts, your feelings, what's happening in your life. Thank you so much for your time. It's just wonderful to have you on. I thank you so much. And I I am ha- really, is there any time that you've invited me that I've said no? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Even when you were sick, we were sick. So we had all, we all, all had so much going on and we still managed to make it work. You made it yeah. work. Yeah. Really, my conversations with you help to advance my thinking, but also my feeling. And so I really owe you a debt of gratitude for uh offering me these opportunities. It's, it's just absolutely delightful. So wonderful. Well, thank you again. And uh, we hope everyone enjoyed as much as we did. We'll see y'all next week.